Well, good morning, Travis family. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word with you in your living room, let's open up to the book of Acts, where we begin week two in our journey through this book throughout the summertime uh, as we walk through this. Um, I've been a, a pastor uh, for almost 10 years now. I've been in ministry for almost 16 years full time. And one of the most common questions that I've gotten as a pastor in the context of pastoral counseling is more often than not, people are coming to me asking the question, how how do they discern God's will for their life? How do they make a, a decision? How do they make a choice with a very specific set of circumstances? And, and the heart behind them is they want to honor the Lord, but they don't know what direction to go. And, and how do you discern whether God's told you to go or to stay, uh, whether he's called you or whether the door before you is a door that you should walk through, or I think sometimes more often than not, not all doors that open are opportunities. In fact, that door needs to be slammed shut oftentimes. But the question still remains, how do I, in this day and age, how do I discern God's will for my life? You know, we as, as elders and staff, and, and even you yourself, are, are seeking to answer that question. Uh, on a very small scale, it applies back to whether or not you return uh, to the physical campus here uh, beginning Sunday, June the 7th. It's a question that really only you can answer that you have to discern in the wisdom that God would give you and, and to make the best possible choice. Well, thankfully, I think that scripture tends to give us sort of a path to follow when seeking to discern maybe something that is not explicitly stated in the scripture. And so here we have in Acts chapter one, at the, begin, at the end of Acts chapter one, uh, we have this, this scene that's set up for us where the disciples have, have witnessed the ascension of Jesus. He has promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. But in verse four of chapter one, he commands them to do not depart Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon them. Now, they didn't entirely understand in that moment what exactly that meant, but they were given specific instructions to wait. And in the midst of this waiting, there was some sovereign action that was taking place by the Lord because they had to settle up something that God had promised long ago. And, and the settling up was which of those that had been following Jesus from the time of John's baptism until now would take the place of Judas, who we know from other scriptures in Matthew and Luke, who hung himself on a tree and fell in such a way that uh, the inward parts of his stomach were ripped open. He died in a way that uh, was ascribed in the Old Testament as simply a curse. And so the task before the disciples was, or the apostles, was to figure out who was going to take his place. And so we have this scene beginning in verse 12, and follow along with me as I read this. And he says this, so they returned to Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And here were the disciples, the apostles, Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And notice what it says in verse 14. All of these men with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so you have this scene as they wait where it says they were committed in the time of waiting to a particular posture. And what was the posture that we see there in the text? They had committed themselves to a posture of prayer as 
they waited. So as we wait for the Lord, the place in which our hearts should rest in is in a place of coming to the Lord in a position of prayer, asking him to meet our needs, crying out to him to intervene, and asking him to give us discernment and wisdom so that we would not step to the left, nor would we step to the right of his will. But rather we would walk right dead in the center of it. It goes on in verse 15 and it says, in those days, it says, Peter stands up amongst the brothers. It says the company of persons was in all about 120 that Dr. Luke tells us. And he says this, brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered amongst us and allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired the field and the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that the field was called in their own language, a that is the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and therefore let another take his place. What we have Peter doing in this moment is Peter is recalling Old Testament promises. He is bringing the word of God into their circumstance. And he quotes in particular from Psalms 69.25 and Psalms 109.8. And what he does in this moment is he applies the judgment that was cast down on the particular person in Psalms who denied the friendship of David. And he applies this principle in this instant to the life of Judas, who did the very same thing in denying the friendship, the fellowship, the relationship with Jesus, and therefore he was accursed. The text goes on and he says in verse 21, so the men who have accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us beginning from the baptism of John until the day in which he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So one of you must replace Judas, the traitor. And the qualification was that beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken from us, you have witnessed and you have behold with eyewitness testimony, not just hearing about it, but you saw and you witnessed it with your own eyes. And so the disciples, the men, put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they began to pray and they said in verse 24, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside and to go to his own place. And so it says at the end in verse 26, they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles, making it 12 once again. The question that still remains before us, that the text is sort of crying out to us is, is how do we answer the question, knowing God's will for our life? And while that may be a particular notion to this particular passage of Scripture, there's actually a, a broader way in which I want to look at this. You see, what we have here is we have the calling of the man who would take the place of Judas the Apostle. 
Now, the apostle really means in the Greek, it means one who is sent by, one who has been commissioned and and sent with a mission, but also one who could gather eyewitness testimony about what they had seen. You see, when we answer the question, what is God's will for our life? It needs to be understood in a larger paradigm, so to speak, that everything that we do, Every choice and decision that we make ought to be done with the mindset that we are being thoughtful of what God is doing within his kingdom to expand his kingdom. So in in one way, we're not like the apostles that we've not seen with eyewitness testimony, but yet in another way, we understand that as disciples of Jesus, we have been commissioned by God to be on mission, sent out into our city and sent out into the nations to proclaim the good news and the message that he has given. So one of the first principles that that we gather in trying to understand making larger decisions is that we have to keep God's larger mission to keep God's larger task in mind anytime we seem to make a decision. That rightfully so, the question would be, if I choose this, how will it impact the kingdom of God in my choice? And so what are these immediate ramifications and then what are the eternal ramifications? But I think when trying to discern God's will, I believe that one of the things that that the end of Acts chapter one actually teaches us is what I would just imply, and it's been noted by other scholars and authors, is that oftentimes it's helpful to, to make a delineation between God's revealed will and God's concealed will. Now, what I mean by that is simply this, that God has revealed his will and his larger purposes to us in his word. And anything that he explicitly states to us that has been given in scripture, that that it is a given to us, that God is not hiding anything from his people. But yet there are times that scripture may infer answers to certain questions, but don't speak specifically to the question before us. Uh, uh, Case in point, um, where does it say in scripture that we should return to the physical location of Travis on Sunday, June the 7th? Well, I would contend with you that if we were to read this uh, book a hundred times over, we wouldn't necessarily find the answer to that specifically written. And so many of our questions in life are, are geared towards those types of questions that, that maybe we can't find an exacting answer in the word. What college do, do I go to? What, uh, what woman should I, should I have as my wife or, or husband? Uh, should I take this job or, or that job? And, and so more often than not, we find ourselves trying to wrestle with what this concealed will because we want to be obedient to what God has called us to do. We want to apply a a specific amount of of wisdom to to the situation and then to make the best choice. But how is it that we do that? Well, God's concealed will is something that we are seeking after as opposed to God's revealed will. We know that marriage between a man and a woman has been sanctioned by God, but we don't always know specifically who that other spouse is supposed to be. We, we learn it in time and, and we court or we date or, or wherever you fall on that spectrum. We understand that the Bible uh, reveals to us that, that we should work hard and, and not be lazy, but it doesn't specifically say what jobs we should take and, and what opportunities are of the Lord and, and maybe you're not 
of the Lord. And so we pursue. But here's the thing about God's concealed will versus God's revealed will. That I think it's always best, and I think what is applied here in the scripture that we see is that the disciples or the apostles in this moment, that they applied God's revealed will first to the thing that they didn't quite understand. And what I mean by that is that we see when Peter begins to talk about the Holy Scriptures, specifically in the Psalms, Peter brings in Old Testament scriptures to inform their very current and real circumstances. In other words, what Peter does for us, and we see this beginning in verse 16, is he allows the the Bible to, to reveal the authority in his life. And so he's yielding his life and he's leading these men who have gathered together to pray, this 120 in number, and, and he is calling them back, get this, to the scriptures, but more importantly, to the authority of those scriptures over their life. Biblical authority perhaps is one of the most important tenets of our faith. That without authority and and without this book being authoritative over our life, then then it is just simply a a book that has great moral value, but but it really has no power and it really has no influence over us absence of that authority. And that authority is deeply rooted in our understanding that this is the word of God. It's an old school uh, sort of dilemma. It is a thus saith the Lord. And and when God speaks it, we want to believe it and we want to follow it and we want to yield to what it is that God has called us to do. Peter in this moment begins to call upon the authority of scripture, reminding them at the end of verse 20, he, he, he reminds them of the curse of Judas, but then at the end of verse 20, he says, so therefore, let us <clears throat> take his office. Let us call another individual to this specific set of circumstances that we have. Now, what's interesting about this and, and why I sort of look at the passage in, in this dichotomy, because Peter quotes from the Old Testament that they should call a new apostle, But yet there's also what's revealed here is that God hasn't told them yet who that man is supposed to be, but rather they are to engage in a process to discern what it is God wants them to do. And friend, I want to say this about any of us that might be struggling with an answer regarding God's specific or concealed will in our life, the the answer that we don't know yet. And here's the truth of the gospel, I believe for us this morning, is why should God tell us the minute details and the answers to these very specific questions when we have not trusted him with the larger portions of himself as he has revealed himself in scripture? The Bible, the scripture, the doctrine of the word of God, it is objective when oftentimes our discernment is very subjective. And so as people who yield to the authority of scripture, the surest way for us to miss God's will is to miss being in his word. There is no quicker way to miss what it is that God wants for our lives when we have voided ourselves or we have neglected being in where God has shown himself to reveal himself with great authority and with great certainty 
in our lives. When we are oblivious to God's word, we will always be oblivious to God's will. And more often than not, it increases our odds greatly that we will miss out on God's blessings for his people. But the second thing that I I would say about God's specific revealed will is that we need to trust in the authority of the Bible, but we also need to let the Bible be the one that interprets our lives. And what we see here is we see Peter bringing in the scriptures to inform the moment and the circumstance that he's in. Peter doesn't freak out. Peter doesn't start wondering or or playing with with hypothetical scenarios that lead him to have anxiety or fear or or become burdensome with the worry. No, instead what Peter does is, is he recalls to mind the scripture that has been indwelt in his heart and he brings that word aloud that the gospel comes with words and he speaks it to the men and to the women who have gathered there to listen. Peter does something fundamentally that we must do when we don't understand or know what it is that God has called us to do. That we need to be led first and foremost by the word, not by our thoughts and not by certainly our emotions, but rather allow the word of God to give meaning and to give substance to our thoughts and to our feelings, that it is okay to think and to feel, but we need to make sure that those thoughts and those emotions are informed by the authority that we find here in God's word. We let the Bible interpret our life and we find ourselves in the midst of God's larger story and and larger redemptive purposes when we do that. But I would contend with you that when we do a simple thing like Peter did and we allow the scriptures to inform us, then then we begin to yield our hearts and our minds and, and God begins to reveal himself to us. He brings assurance when we've got those questions. And it's what we would just call in other places to be led by the Spirit of God, to be led by Him, which is deeply rooted in in yielding our hearts and our lives to the authority of God's Word. And so we let the Bible interpret our life, but we also do what the Bible says. And so when He says, "Let let us take another for this office, We see in verse 21, the transition. So they did what the word of God told them to do. God spoke and his people responded in obedience. Do you know that this is the same thing that God wants for us this morning? I don't know what God is is speaking to you about in your own life. I contend that many of you who are walking with Jesus and and you're full of the Spirit of God, like there's something in your life today that you know that you need to do, but you you have deliberately said no to over and over and over again. And what we want is we want to take what's happening at the end of chapter one and seeing Peter recall the word of God and seeing the people respond in obedience to the very thing that God has said, do what the Bible says. The Bible says that we should seek holy lives. The Bible says that we should seek to be like Jesus, that we should serve our spouses, that we should be active in in our local church and, and loving on one another, loving our friends and our neighbors. These are the things that we can know for certain are God's will. 
But I also want to address in the pursuit of knowing and trying to understand what the revealed will is, I think it's important to note that we are, are really to only look for God's concealed will through the lens of the revealed will. Meaning this, God is never going to ask you to do something that is found contrary to the word. He's never gonna ask you to do something to violate the, the commands and the precepts and the principles of scripture. But rather what God wants from his people is for his people to follow and to walk in obedience as one who has been sent by God to, to follow the will of God and to pursue those things. And so back to our original question, how do I go about in, in understanding this, this specific area of my life and what God's will for my life is? Well, I think when we back out of the text and we take the larger 30,000 foot view, so to speak, we see a couple of things that happen on a larger scale. Number one, um, we see this idea in verses 21 through 23 where, where these men who were discerning this, they were gathering all the information. You know, whenever I'm trying to make a tough decision in my life, I, I, uh, I wanna gather as many facts as I possibly can. I wanna put all of the pieces of the puzzle on the table before me before I begin to start to put the puzzle together. I wanna make sure that I have all the facts to the conflict, to the situation, to the circumstance before I make any judgment, before I make any choice, before any decision is made. I wanna make sure that, that I have the truth before me everything gathered. And so I want to gather all of that information. And then I want you to, to notice this. If we jump back to verse 14, notice what it says, the, the, the posture. It says in verse 14 that all of these men with one accord, they were doing what? They were devoting themselves to prayer. So as we gather all of this information to make a choice on, on a very specific circumstance, we enter into a, a place and a posture of prayer before the Lord. And listen, these words that are used in verse 14, everybody being unified with one accord was devoting themselves to prayer, waiting patiently for God to deliver on his promise, the promise of his spirit. I'll just say this as an aside. Um, these, these folks were not praying in the sense of trying to achieve some certain level of piety to then receive the spirit of God later. No, they were simply resting in the fact and the longing that God had promised to give his spirit. And so they were saying, we're, we're waiting, God. And, and isn't this so much of what prayer is? It's, it's realigning our hearts and, and the timing of our circumstance. It's realigning our own timing and making sure that it is on God's timing because our timing is not often God's timing. And so we gather the facts. We commit to a place of, of prayer. And then I want you to notice in verse 26, where there just seems to be this trust that takes place. It says in verse 26, they cast the lots and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Many years ago, I was asked the question in light of this text, um, is casting lots the way in which biblical uh, New Testament Christianity should function in, in light of how we discern uh, the will of God for our life? And the easy answer to that is simply this. After this moment in Acts 1.26, from, uh, from, from chapter two, verse one, all the way to the end of Revelation, noticeably at no time ever 
does God allow or do God's people cast lots again to discern God's will? It was a common practice in the Old Testament, but, but after this moment, this is the last instance in which we see this. Why? Because the answer relies in the fact of Pentecost. It rests in the notion that the Spirit of God indwells in the believer and that when we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, that we're able to understand what it is that God wants us. And so what we see them do in this place in verse 26, they cast the lots as, as a description in this moment of trust in the, in the sovereignty of God that they've gathered all the facts, that they've prayed, and now they trust and they ultimately make a decision. And then they go and, and they follow. But if I could give us one last bit of advice that maybe is, is implicit in, in this text and maybe, uh, maybe not entirely uh, direct is this. When we're trying to answer the question, what is God's will for my life? We are much better off seeking the person over the promise. And what I mean by that is if we will focus our attention not on the answer to our question, but rather on the person of Jesus, we will find ourselves in a position of strength and in a place of peace and rest in our hearts. Friend, the only way that I know how to focus on a person is to have a relationship with that person. That the only way I can ever really be assured that I know Jesus, that, I, that I'm making the best decision for my life and following God's will, I cannot do that in the absence of a relationship with Jesus. And if you're watching this today and, and you don't know what it means to, to have forgiveness of sins or to walk with Jesus in the way that's described here as these disciples discern the will of God, uh, I wanna invite you. You can uh, enter in a comment uh, down below. Uh, you can access uh, uh, one of our, our staff members or some folks on staff that would love to visit with you through uh, travis.org. We would love to visit with you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But if you've been walking with Jesus, and maybe you sort of gotten off track or you find yourself out of alignment with him, then the call this morning is for you to realign, to recalibrate, to, to readjust, to make sure that your relationship with him is right so that you can discern, so that you will commit to, to discerning and seeking God's will for your life and not your own. Friend, I, I love you so very much. I, am, I cannot wait. I, I get, as the days approach, the, the excitement and the expectancy of, of being back here with all of you on June the 7th. I want you to continue to pray that um, our elders and staff, that we would uh, heed the wisdom of scripture, that we would heed some of the wisdom that you guys shared on the survey as we read through that and uh, that we would just simply apply wisdom to the circumstance as we seek to be faithful to the word of God. I love you and I will see you here next week. God bless.